0: Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. I'm your host, Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney and educator right here in Missouri. I love our state and our country, so let's talk about ways to make them even better. On this episode, we are joined by David Tyson Smith, the Democratic candidate for House District 45 in the April 6th special election. We talk about his historic run, his ideas for the office once he gets there, and how his long commitment to civil rights and justice work has brought him to this moment. David, are you here? I'm still here. Wonderful. Well, welcome here. welcome to the Allod Pod. Very excited to have you tonight. Uh, like Absolutely. I mentioned in the intro, you're running for House of District 45, uh, state yes. representative. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, a lot of folks in the state and really throughout the country don't really quite know about local government, right? We know about Congress. Mm-hmm. We know who's run for president. Maybe we know who's, you know, doing senator governor or something. But oftentimes, folks who are in our local government... Have the biggest impact on our day-to-day lives in terms of policy and rules and all of this stuff. So, could you tell us a bit about um, well, who you are, why you're running, uh, and uh, you know what, what the big ideas you have to bring to Missouri and to our local government?
1: Absolutely, and, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here, Elon. Um, so, about me, yeah, my name's David Tyson Smith. Uh, I grew up uh, in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, went to. I'm a product of the public schools. Uh, for those who know Columbia and the surrounding areas, I graduated from you know uh, Hickman High School, Columbia Hickman High School. I went to the University of Missouri, uh, undergrad, graduated from Mizzou, um, and then I uh, went to Tulane Law School down in New Orleans um, for law school. So that was a, a fascinating time. It was good to see a different part of the country. Uh, I planned on actually coming back. Uh, after law school but I was offered a job uh, suing tobacco companies mm-hmm. in New Orleans and so that just seemed like an exciting opportunity. It was around the time that uh, big tobacco was starting to take a lot of hits yeah um, I mean for years they had bankrupted attorneys and so I thought you know I'm gonna, I wanted to be a part of that so worked for a firm downtown New Orleans for a while and then moved back I just felt Columbias you know my, my hometown called me back and, and came back here to Columbia. Um, I started a law firm about 16 years ago, Smith and Parnell, uh, and with my partner, Malia Parnell, my law partner, and we do you know, criminal defense. Uh, we do personal injury and we do some uh, family law work um, about it was 2006. So it's been about 14 or 15 years ago. Uh, the police in this town were using a lot of excessive force. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a lot of complaints. There's a lot of problems. A lot of the clients that I uh, that came into my office for me to represent them had issues about excessive force. Other attorneys were talking about excessive force. Uh, it was almost about one in three clients, criminal defense clients, were talking about issues with law enforcement. So I led the effort. I went to the city council, um, and there was other groups involved, wasn't just me. But you know, I presented a proposed ordinance for a citizens' police review board. And after three years of fighting. Um, to get that done, we're ultimately able to achieve that. And so Columbia established a Citizens Police Review Board in 2009. And so the goal is to provide accountability and transparency to law enforcement. And it's been working well. And even um, there's a city, Florissant, Missouri, uh, in the St. Louis area, mm-hmm. that mod- they just recently adopted a-, a CPRB and modeled it after the one in Columbia. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that that work is spreading that we can bring accountability and transparency to law enforcement. There's still some work to be done. I mean, the board still has some work to do, and and so it's not obviously a perfect system yet, but we're still working on it. Um, In 2017, I was appointed to the Missouri Advisory Committee to the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and the commission advises the President and Congress on civil rights issues. So I've enjoyed doing that and serving in that capacity. Um, And so you know, I wanted to run for this office, this is something that I've had a passion for. I was surprised that the office came up so soon. It was a special election. Kip Kendrick, who's in the seat before, stepped down um, just in November. So I thought about it, you know, in a couple of years from now, and I thought, you know, I'd have to make a decision. And so um, I thought now is a good time to do it. So yeah. I threw my hat in the ring, and, and, and here we are.
0: Yeah, uh, that's. Uh... Yeah, it's a, a special election because the uh, the former occupant, Kip Kendrick, uh, who's a mm-hmm. wonderful state representative, he uh, left to work for Greg Razor. He became a state senator over on the Kansas City side, so he's his chief of staff. It's so good. he's still very involved in policy and everything at the Capitol, so it's kind of getting a, a two-for-one sale, actually, with, <laughs> potentially with a special election. So, um uh, yeah, it's uh, uh and, and that special election date for those of you who uh, uh are, everybody should go vote. It will be April sixth. Is that right? Absolutely, April sixth. Yeah, right. So, so a about,
1: in about two weeks or so.
0: Yes. Yeah. Go vote. Weeks. Uh, there will be municipal local elections all over the state too. So, uh, go find out what's on your ballot. Go vote. Um, but uh, yeah, you'll be on that ballot on that ballot as well. Because normally, normally for House reps, that's not the the correct that the time unless there is some kind of a special election or something else so it's a unique position uh, for you on the ballot Um, what uh, so I mean there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there and on previous podcasts here we've talked a lot about uh, you know police reform certainly accountability and transparency and government you know I wonder um, you know when you were looking at the uh, you know the citizens review board. Um, the civilian oversight for for policing. What were, I mean, what, when when you were looking looking at like models to do that to build that out, um, what were some guiding ideas or concepts that you saw that you thought were you know proven to be particularly effective? And and do you see. I mean, fluorescent not very far for me right now. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. very heartening to hear that they're using it. I know that some other civilian oversight systems haven't worked so well, mostly because they don't have as much power. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. have you learned anything from that experience? Um, Are there any changes that you would make that you you would foresee making um, for folks who are interested in doing something locally, too?
1: Well, obviously, you want to have the most power you can um, Mm -hmm. to hold the police accountable. And the interesting thing about this board is so the makeup of it, what they did is they put everyone, they put a committee together. I was fortunate enough to be selected to serve on the committee to decide how it operated and, but it was bipartisan committee. Okay. So one person can't come in and make all the rules and say, we're Mm going to do it this way. Uh, I wanted the board to, for example, to have subpoena power. It didn't, but it it provides a venue, so if something happens. Um, the police can will have to go in front of the board if the board chooses to bring them there to answer for uh, s- situations that need to be addressed. You know, one, one of the problems, uh, I think, with law enforcement oftentimes is a lack of transparency. And I felt that just the threat of knowing that they, ha- that, you know, if something happens, they're going to have to go in front of a public board, which, you know, the press can attend and would if, if something were to happen, um, can be a deterrent to uh, police malfeasance and, and problems you know one of the problems here in Colombia was that there really wasn't so people would complain and they would say well you know this didn't happen they could just throw it in the trash so anytime there was an incident people would someone would bring it in and say hey this happened and they would say no it didn't and basically throw it away and so there was no way to bring any type of accountability i think we looked at the, so back in 2006 we get we got some of the raw data from the police department and we found I think it was in the prior seven years. This is like 2006, 2007, the prior seven years. Anytime someone filed a complaint, if the person was black, nothing happened. So there was never any resolution if uh, a black citizen filed a complaint. I think if a white person had filed a complaint maybe one time in seven years, did they do anything? It was a written reprimand. So I don't care what agency you're a part of. With your attorney and a doctor or your doctor, architect, people make mistakes. And so to tell me that in seven years, there was never a need to do anything beyond one written reprimand in an apartment of that size was ludicrous. And so I think once the public understood what was happening, uh, they, I think they were on board to get something done. And so because of that, the board was established. So that's something that I think the transparency piece is good. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, the difficulties, I think the downside is, is you know, you want the board. When the board was structured, I wanted them to be able to audit the department, and there are tools in their toolbox to go in and look at, um, you know, what the department is doing wrong, and to work with them on policy issues. That's something that I haven't seen as much of that I would like because, when the department, you know, once you don't have a lot of excessive force being used, if that issue is taken care of, and the officers are, you know, figure, hey, I, I can't get away with as much as now as I did before, but what are we going to do about policy issues, right? And is a right. board going to look into what the departments are doing to, to make changes? And I felt like here, I don't see enough of that. And a lot of it comes down to the personality of the board members. Um, I mean, it depends who's who's there, right? And are people willing to do the hard work? And so, you know, I think you have to get the right people. And there's good people on their survey. I'm not trying to knock them. But I think you really have to be aggressive in that. And I think, you know, city leadership tends to want you know, more of a friendly relationship between the board and the and the police department. So they're constantly pushing for, let's all just get along. Let's work together. And yes, you want to work together. However, the board is supposed to be in a supervisory position over the police department, right, to hold them accountable. Right. So it's not supposed to be kind of a kumbaya, let's hold hands and walk down the street. And the city leadership is always pushing for that. And so it really takes an outside voice to make sure the board's on the right track.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... uh yeah, it's interesting, just all the politics around that locally, and, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of kind of money that flows into all of these things, too, especially when you're talking about public safety budgets. And, and you know, I mean, there's there's certainly uh, a need, and unfortunately, in so many parts of Missouri right now, we're seeing, you know, violence increase and all this other stuff, and, um, you know, with it's it just, it's tough... Right. in that situation as a local politician to on one hand say, all right, here's what we need to do. And on the other hand, uh, accountability. But it just seems like that's something, you know, I've worked with a lot of officers, too. And it seems like folks who are doing the right thing or in that job for the right reasons really want that accountability because you're you're not working with somebody who's doing the wrong thing all the time and having to deal with that, too
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i mean there's a lot of we all know there's a lot of good officers who serve and they want the best for their communities and yeah i i don't i mean they want people to know that they're doing the right thing you know one of the good things about it, even like with police body cams is that you know especially as a criminal defense attorney i watch a lot of those mm-hmm. and you know there's many officers who are being very respectful and i think that that provides accountability right because they know that whatever happens is going to be recorded right. so i think that helps modify police behavior and um, you know, generally, you know, they're going to want to do the right thing because they're on camera. So I, I, it's a win-win for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone wants to operate in secrecy. I mean, obviously, there are some people who do. We know that, but right. um, for the for the people who want to do the right thing, uh, they they should they shouldn't have a problem being transparent.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. No. That's uh, that's really important work. I'm I'm glad to hear that that's happening, um, and you know, we certainly need need more of that. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I mean, obviously your background as an attorney and doing, I mean, all of this kind of work. I mean, I, I, your reputation certainly precedes you when it comes to civil rights issues in Missouri. But I wonder, you know, for, from your background as an attorney, uh, you would think we would have a whole lot of attorneys writing the laws for the state. We, we do, right. uh, who are in the background, you know, there's staff who are there and everything else. Sure, but sure, sure, from sure. from the perspective of, of elected officials, there aren't really that many uh, who right. are in the legislature right now doing that. So, you know, given, I mean, certainly that's that's an important perspective to have, at least. Well, I'm, I'm a little biased because I'm one too, but uh, one would think that would be an important perspective to have. So I, I wonder, you know, taking the work that you have done, uh, both in your practice, but also, you know, on these different commissions and, and the different kind of community work that you've done, mm-hmm. ha- has that informed, I mean, I'm sure it has, but how, how has that informed kind of the platform that you're running on, the ideas that
1: you want to bring to Jefferson City? Absolutely. So, well, as far as um, being an attorney, you know, you know, as a practicing attorney, as a litigator, you know, you're constantly analyzing statutes. I mean, so you know that as an attorney. So you're looking at statutes, seeing how they're going to apply. You have to, you know, address those with the other side and the judge. A lot of the statutes in Missouri are very poorly written, Unfortunately, <laughs> and some of these statues you're looking at, and you're like, "What is this?" And you know, they just kind of, at, you know, they kind of add one provision onto another one. And I've had statutes where um, you almost have to look at, you have to look at two of them and put them together. It's like, um, gosh, what was that movie uh, ne- uh, with Nicolas Cage, National Treasure, where they're looking for a treasure oh, yeah. and they have to lay a map on something else? Sometimes you almost feel like you have to do that, you know, to to right. figure out what the statute is is attempting to convey. So, I would like to push back on a lot of. Add statutory writing if I could, uh, if I had the opportunity to be on the judiciary committee to deal with some of those issues, because there's a lot of legislation is just poorly written. Um, or there's such a fine line a lot of times, especially with criminal statutes between maybe a D felony and an, a misdemeanor in a case or an E felony or an a misdemeanor. So the prosecutor has this wide discretion of whether to charge someone, especially when you're dealing with like, assault issues or domestic assault, it, it, it's, you know, you, it, they almost read it like they're the same statute. And so a prosecutor can charge someone with a felony or misdemeanor just kind of depending on how they feel like approaching it. So, and that's not really fair to a defendant because you don't know one guy's going to get a misdemeanor, another guy's going to get a felony. And it's basically the same facts for the most part. So making sure that the legislation is clear and that it would work in a courtroom and be fair to defendants yeah. and everybody, because it, you know, it's not just, why are you protecting criminals? But it's, it's all of us, right? I mean, you want to make sure that protected and you don't want people especially the poor because unfortunately as you know we all know this if you're poor uh you know it's it's a snowball effect and uh the law can just roll on top of you um kind of like a combine and eat you alive and so you especially don't have the representation if people aren't fighting for you um you know it's interesting you know so when you i'm kind of digressing a little bit when you talk about like for example prosecutors you know, prosecutors run, there's a lot of good prosecutors in Missouri, but you know, when they run and they want a promotion, if you ever been to a fundraiser for a prosecutor, what do they say? They talk about the number of convictions that they have. Uh-huh. Well, so we know then, and their role of the prosecutor is supposed to be fair and impartial and to seek justice, but to get a promotion, if they brag about convictions, it's clear, they're looking for convictions. And so if you're poor, you don't have good legal representation, um, or if you're having had, if you don't have a family that got you out of a lot of minor things, you're going to pay the price for that. And so, you know, you want to make sure the laws are fair so they don't unfairly fall on the poor and people of color in in this state and in this country. Right,
0: right. And that's, uh, yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, you look at Missouri, uh, our public defender system has been severely underfunded for a long time. And obviously, who is that uh, impacting more? Um, And so there's, you know, there's a lot of conversations around these issues now, and usually we get there once everything is in disaster crisis mode.
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. So,
0: yeah. Uh, I wonder, you know, so I, I used to work at the Attorney General's office, and uh, every year we used to put out this report, this vehicle stops report in mm-hmm. Missouri, and every year it would show that we pull over uh, black people at a much higher rate uh, in mm-hmm. Missouri, uh, that we arrest uh, black drivers at a much higher rate than any other racial group
1: mm-hmm. in Missouri.
0: Mm-hmm and that the uh, black drivers are also less likely than uh, their white counterparts to actually have contraband on them. Yeah. Uh, and then mm-hmm. year after year, this report comes out, and, and year after year, uh, the statistics show, oh, it's worse. And it gets worse right. and worse every year, right? Right. It's, you know, I know there's been some some discussion about, oh, are we measuring this or measuring that? And I understand, you know, you want more data and then you can figure it out. But um, at some point, one would think you got enough enough data to know that there's at least a problem. Uh, I wonder, you know, certainly this is kind of in that same realm of, of who, who's really getting screwed over in the justice system right now, and, and if that's how it's, it's not really a, a functioning justice system if there are so many questions about it because you need to have that integrity and you need to have that trust within the system. Um, what, you know, <laughs> given where our legislature is right now, Um, We have seen some bipartisan cooperation on some bills even now about police accountability and and some of these other things. We'll see if it gets it gets to the finish line or not. Um, Looking at at those, do you see is there an opportunity that you see that you think maybe hasn't been tried or maybe hasn't been discussed enough, doesn't have like this this critical mass push behind it that you see maybe could be supported by, uh, you know, the the supermajority Republican legislature
1: right now? You know, we have a good opportunity right now just because of what happened this summer. You know, after George Floyd was killed, 97% of Americans felt that the killing was unjustified. When whenever in in our history do you have 97% of the people on board for any issue? I don't care what right. it is. And so the fact that that many people looked at that and said that shouldn't have happened tells you something about our country and, you know, some of the issues that that concern a lot of people. Now the you know now 97 now that doesn't mean that 97 percent of Americans agreed with you know the follow up or how things were handled after that. However, most Americans knew that that was wrong. I really believe there's momentum right now um, in the Missouri legislature to get things done when you talk about criminal justice reform. You know, Senator Williams, mm-hmm. uh, the state senator, is you know his his bill that he's moving. You know, it's interesting. So it was getting a lot of bipartisan support. and I, I think it still is, and it seemed like law enforcement was involved and 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 felt like it was a good a good bill and this bill for example uh would ban chokeholds in certain situations uh bans no-knock warrants uh so you know law enforcement was on board and it looked like there was some momentum there now there's also issues with bills making it more difficult that have been introduced that make it more difficult to investigate police misconduct whereas it's almost a, a more difficult standard than if you're investigating just a regular citizen's misconduct. So it's kind of, the pendulum's kind of swinging slowly back the other way. Um, but I still believe there's momentum and I think that momentum needs to be seized upon. So now's really the time, you lot. Know I mean? I think, you know, if you wait, well, we'll wait five years. You really can't wait five years because I do think it is still fresh. I know it's been almost a year since June uh, when a lot of these things happened. However, it's still fresh in people's minds to some degree, not as much as then, but I think this session or the next one I think we can get something done on these issues. I'm optimistic, I'm confident, but it's one of those situations where if you wait another eight years, maybe not. And then hopefully Mm -hmm. we don't have a situation where something worse happens. So um, because one of the problems I foresee is, you know, you see all these things, you know, with Michael Brown and Ferguson, it's, these are not isolated Mm -hmm. incidents. It's almost like tremors leading up to something bigger. I hope that's not the case.
0: But even the level
1: of protesting, I have noticed, you know, between Michael Brown and George Floyd was even bigger and even larger. And so what's going to happen the next time? So hopefully we can get a a lid on this because I don't think anyone wants to see, you know, huge mass riots, even on a grander scale. So hopefully we can all, you know, pass common sense legislation that will, you know, protect people and make sure that all of our citizens are treated fairly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I totally agree. It's because the longer that you ignore these issues and people see that you're ignoring or not doing anything about, I mean, the more... Mm -hmm upset people get? Because then, I mean, the, the obvious answer is, well, what's the point of, of me even interacting with uh, elected officials or or my government or trying to go that route? And, and so when you don't have that avenue anymore, when it's not a legitimate path to fixing the problem, well, then you, you got to look elsewhere uh, or you take more drastic steps. And, and each time that happens, uh, I think you're right. I mean, it gets worse because people just they get fed up with the with the inaction when reason, reasonable just like you said i mean reasonable people doesn't really matter what party you're in they agree something's got to be done and there are reasonable at least a few things that we can all agree on so at absolutely least, yeah at least do that so and Brian Williams absolutely. bill yep. is a great example of that uh, i hope absolutely. uh <laughs> you're right there's there's some movement now to uh to to <laughs> kind of go the other direction and i don't know yeah. i mean everybody's got their got some reason to be doing something. But yeah, there were some bills that were just heard on, on that topic very recently. So um, let's see. We do have a question here about a specific... Oh, here we go. We got a specific uh, position question. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Oh, let's do it. All right, let's go. Let's do it. All right, yeah. I'm going to add John. I'm going to add you to the broadcast. You're coming on. All right, hi, David. What are your thoughts on the GOP attempts to limit the ballot initiative? So uh, we just saw, um, and we have seen quite a few bills have been proposed uh, primarily by Republican representatives and I think some state senators too that would change the ballot initiative process. So right now, you know, you got to go get signatures out there. Once you get enough signatures, uh, then you can uh, get this thing on the ballot. Uh, There's also the language that the ballot has, how that's approved, everything else. There's some costs associated with it. So right now, uh, there are a few House bills that would tweak uh, one, how much money you would have to pay before you can go and start collecting signatures and get this thing on the ballot. Uh, there are several that would change um, where you have to collect signatures from. Right now, you have to qualify. I think it's six out of the eight congressional districts. Some are like, oh no, get them at all of them. Some are, hey, you got to get way more, way more votes here, uh, or way more uh, signatures and all over the place from the state, which would obviously make it much, much harder to get anything on the ballot. And then there's there's another That would also, or another set of them, that would also change um, how the percentage of the vote that you would need in order to pass a ballot initiative that's presented by signature versus presented by the legislature, because the legislature can also propose their own things for the ballot, too. And so there are some, I I believe, that they're proposing that the legislature, if they decide that we all need to vote on amending the Constitution, majority vote is still the way to go. But if we, the people say, Hey, we think we need to amend the constitution, then it would be a, a two thirds vote instead, uh, which would be another barrier because obviously our, our representatives know better than us. So, um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I might be missing a few cause I know there's a whole bunch flying out there, but do you have any thoughts on, uh, where you stand on any of those issues?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is part of a larger problem, but yeah, there's definitely a salt An assault on the initiative petitions, Um, you know. And as you mentioned, you know, one of the bills is going to require at least ten percent of all registered voters to sign a petition, which was, I believe, it was eight percent before in certain areas. So that's a problem. And they're basically the majority is trying to take away the will of the people, and we need to push back against that type of legislation. So this assault on the ballot initiative process needs to be stopped. Um, You know, for example, you talk about Medicaid expansion. Well. You know that was voted on by the voters, right? Uh, through ballot initiative process, and right after that, we've seen we we see this assault on the process to to stop it. As you mentioned, um, it's going to and one bill is going to require two thirds um, to pass an amendment, um, which is which is a lot. And so, this is just an assault on on the citizens. It's an assault on voter rights, and we need to push back against this. So, uh, I am not in favor of the majorities attempt to undermine the validation process just because they're basically trying to undermine the will of the people. I mean, they're probably still mad about Medicaid expansion. um, And so we need to get a handle on this. But this also goes to a larger issue and it's really the assault on voting rights. Um, That's one of the things that I would like to fight against. I mean, there's um, Missouri is third in the nation on voter suppression bills. Okay. Um, there's just a cascading, uh, a huge amount of bills that are cascading down regarding uh, voter suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, House Bill 334 requiring photo IDs, I mean, every, every layer they can add, the majority can add to keep someone from voting, um, brings down the amount of people that can vote and the majority knows. I mean, it used to be more so, but they know they can't win if everybody votes. The majority does not want everyone to vote period, they don't, they just don't. And so all these voter suppression bills uh, cloaked in voter fraud, it's it, it's it's a red herring. I mean, there's there, we don't have widespread voter fraud to overturn an election, right? It's just not happening, it's not true. Um, this These bills are designed to keep people from voting. And in many instances, this even amounts to what would be a poll tax. I mean, for example, if you say, well, I need a photo ID, well, you take someone who's really poor or they're disabled, you know, they have to go purchase that, right? is not giving away those for free. And so the Missouri legislature, the majority, doesn't want to pay for those. So now you're paying for the right to vote to go vote. So we need to fight and push back against these bills, these voter suppression bills. But it definitely, definitely, going back specifically to the question about the ballot initiative, we need to push back against that because it's bad legislation yeah. to make it difficult for the voters to have their say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's... Um... It's a lot. I mean, Medicaid expansion, great example. That one just passed. That was a constitutional heck. And, and you know, the problem is, like, you know, th- so there are a couple different ways, and you'll see this on the ballot. You'll see a proposition. You'll see an amendment. And there's a big difference between the two. An amendment is amending the state constitution. The proposition is basically us proposing a law. And uh, the, the, the amendment, pro- you know, you, you'd like to amend your constitution, maybe not all the time, right? Because it's a little harder to maneuver that. You maybe start a new program, and then it's a little harder to change things as you're going along. And that's the problem. And the, the benefit of doing it as, as a law is that, oh, well, if something didn't work out too well, then you can go ahead and change the law. And that's what the legislators are there to do. But in Missouri, we have a pretty significant problem with if we pass it as a proposition then they might just throw out the whole thing. One great example, and this is why I was thinking about when you said Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion, we passed as an amendment. Uh, the so, so to some degree that has to happen. Now there's a conversation about that. But uh, the minimum wage increase was passed overwhelmingly as a proposition. And that means it's a law and legislators can change the law. So right now they're trying to throw out the minimum wage increase or at least move it you know farther into the future so that folks are taking longer before they get any of that and uh and the reason that the minimum wage was even put on the ballot in the first place was because the legislature was saying oh you local municipalities you you can't make these decisions only we can and and so then the people said no we we disagree with you do this and uh well they now are disagreeing with us again and it's just it's such a mess uh in medicaid expansion another great example like even when we pass an amendment it seems like on the periphery there's things that the legislature will then say well well maybe we won't fund it or oh well maybe we'll add like some other amendment to it that that Mm -hmm. will change that and it's just like all over the place you know i wonder i wonder uh, because this is a question I, i get a whole lot from folks who are looking at this whole thing and they're just like, well, I mean, I collected all those signatures. I did all this work. I worked on this campaign and everything else. Um, what do you think that there's any, I mean, other than like, you know, obviously voting for people who are going to listen to their constituents and, and, you know, hopefully take that into account when they're making decisions. Do you think that there's anything that we can do from the perspective of the system itself that would prevent these things from just being changed Shortly after they're voted on by the people, hopefully
1: legislators would have a conscience. I would think, you know, that would be nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, the, the level of aggressiveness we see in the Missouri legislature is something that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, you know, like you mentioned, you talk about Medicaid expansion, how the voters just decided this, but now you know they're putting it. They're putting Medicaid expansions, you know, in a different in an appropriate an appropriations bill mm-hmm. separately, presumably to kill it. Right. They're not putting it in with the normal Medicaid uh, uh, law. So, right. or, you know, it can be funded properly. Um, so that's a problem. And so, you know, I think, you know, people maybe need to contact their legislators and say, hey, look, this is not what we wanted. I mean, when you have an overwhelmingly amount of people in Missouri say this is what we want and then the majority says we're just not going to fund it and it looked like it was going to get funded earlier on you know the governor didn't look like he was going to make you know substantial cuts but now as we as we kind of march on we kind of pass the halfway mark down in jeff city it looks like it may not be smooth sailing after all so right. um i think you just need to contact their legislators and let them know that this is not okay i would think it would it would be risky to do that right yeah. i mean if the voters wanted this and you turn around and try to underfund it and i think people need to be aware of what's happening right so when you talk about the lack of funding of Medicaid expansion, you know, voters, they've got jobs, they're, you know, doing their own thing. People sign petitions. They're not thinking about what's happening on a day-to-day basis. I mean, some people are very involved, but some people, they vote and they kind of go on about their business, right. and they don't know the subtleties of what's happening behind it, right? They don't know that, hey, they're going to underfund this, or they may try to kill it. And so I think just letting people know, hey, this is what's happening um, is, is an important thing to do so the voters can get involved. Right,
0: right. Yeah, I... Uh... On that note, did get a question, uh, you're feeling about town halls as a potential state representative.
1: Like attending town halls or
0: going to town halls? I guess. Or having them, yeah. It seems like hosting them, it looks like, because uh, uh, for, it's for folks in your district who would like to know what you're doing, because I know that there are some elected officials who aren't big fans of hosting their own town halls.
1: I think they're good ideas. I mean, the, the more communication, the better. You know, one of the criticisms I think a lot of people have with politicians and, you know, a criticism that I've had about politicians in general is you don't really, you know, first of all, you never see them until they run, right? A lot of times you don't know them. So you have somebody running in your district. It's like, who is this guy Where's or, or gal or woman? Where's this person been? Um, and they just show up and then they run. And then when they get elected, they kind of disappear again until election time. And I, that's always bothered me mm-hmm. uh, just as a citizen in general. Is that I just don't know where this person has been um so yeah why not i mean i think people need to know what's going on i think it'd be a good form for the legislator as well to communicate why they did something especially if they're being criticized they can explain hey i had to do this but here's the reason behind it so i think that that's a great idea um there's a, a city council person here that would always have uh, not really a town hall but he just always have like coffee shop hours uh-huh, uh-huh. and i said that was a great idea he was always there every saturday you know between these hours and anyone could just come and sit with him. So I want to I want to maintain that spirit of communication um, because it's very easy to just kind of for, forget the, the people you're representing.
0: Right, right, and that's an important thing not to do. Well, on that note, if you do want to get a hold of you, you've got a website out there. It's just your name. It's David Tyson Smith. So you can go to there and you'll be able to get a hold of your campaign, see what what everything's you know what's going on with you. So I guess from your so so you've got um, you've got this election on April sixth. And, uh, right. It, it's you. It, it's, it's you and one other candidate. It's a libertarian candidate. Is that right?
1: That's correct. That's okay. correct. I have an opponent. He's a libertarian. I do not have a Republican opponent. Gotcha. Okay. So they didn't
0: put somebody, I'm assuming they just didn't put somebody up, right? Cause they right. would nominate right. the, the way. That, so, so tell us, I guess a little bit, cause it's a little different, uh, for you getting to the special election. Um, how were you Selected to be the candidate because it's a little bit different for folks who might not be as familiar.
1: It sure is, you know, and it's interesting because even you know people within the process, we were all kind of wondering how this was going to work. So, what happened was the the Democrat. Every party has a committee, right? So you've got the Democratic Central Committee. The Republicans have a committee. The Central Committee, the Democratic Central Committee, was going to choose a Democratic nominee, and that's the way it was going to happen. However, I had I had two other opponents. Um, in, in that process so we basically had our own you know kind of our own primary to some degree now this the Central Committee was going to vote and their votes are weighted uh, based on I guess how many people are in their in their ward so what happened was we had multiple uh, and th- so what right after I announced um, we had a, a, a forum you know a panel if you will the two other candidates um, and then we went on to be interviewed by the central committee. So the central committee interviewed all of us separately, and then we had several other forums. There's a Mule Skinner's forum uh, where we both appeared, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of like a debate, talked about our ideas. Yeah, and then after group, that, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so then the governor, and so then they voted. The, the, the's different, the interesting thing about this is we. So one, we didn't know. So when Kip, Kip steps down in November, okay. Uh-huh. We didn't know when the governor was going to call a special election. So Kip steps down in November, there's a vacancy. I announced that I'm going to run. There's two other candidates that were going to run, but we didn't know when the special election was going to be. So I didn't know it was going to be in April. We didn't know if it was going to be, some people said he's not going to do it. It's going to be in two years. So I was in this weird, we all were in this weird limbo, just kind of waiting. And so It's difficult to and I think the rules state by statute, the central committee can't really begin their work until the governor calls a special election. Mm -hmm. So I contacted them and said, Hey, I'm interested. Um, and so I think what they said, well give us information about yourself, a bio, who's endorsing you. But we they really couldn't start moving on it until we get the special election call. And it was interesting for me personally because I had a trip planned. I was going to. just going to go to Florida for a few days, just four four days or something. Like I have a long weekend, and I'm leaving on Thursday. And on Wednesday afternoon, like late afternoon, two or three, the the news comes down that the governor has called a special election for April. So now I'm like, okay. So I go. To, I remember going to Florida and the news calling and wanting an interview. So I'm in a hotel conference room doing this interview on my cell phone because I just didn't expect that, right? And rushing around to find. You know, I was kind of had beachwear down there, but. I... So I'm rushing around to these stores to try to find you know button-up shirts just because I didn't anticipate he would do it right then. I, I, no <laughs> one, no one knew, and right. so it kind of started when I was on my trip. And so I'm down there, and I had I reached out to some people before, but now I'm calling different legislators, and you know I'm driving around, uh, doing that. So it was all very sudden, and then by January the the committee had decided, um, and they voted, and so they they picked me as their nominee. And so there will be a general election but as far as the nomination process that's how that went. So we kept, we interviewed, we had a few forum panels and then we they voted.
0: Yeah. So what what have you been um uh I guess campaigning now. You know, we've been yeah. we've been, we've been at this pandemic for a year. What is it what mm-hmm. does it look like? Like what do you do? How do you talk to people? Are you are you going door to door are you doing phone calls? Like what what is the primary, I guess? action that you're doing to reach
1: out right right China. right so uh what we do there's a lot of uh, forums okay right. i think i have a forum or speaking engagement scheduled i think just about every day for almost until next week maybe one day off but so there's a lot of speaking last night i was speaking which is great you know i love connecting with people yeah. so there's that we do so we have volunteers people who sign up to volunteer we do a lot of lit drops so we try not to knock on doors because of covid so there's a lot of volunteers that show up and they, you know, we have so many houses where we're trying to distribute literature to. And so every weekend they're going out and distributing literature. So I, I, I typically, you know, I'm excited to meet people. So we, we had everyone come to the democratic headquarters, um, you know, on the weekend and, you know, my, sorry, my volunteer coordinator, she's great. Sarah Catlett, she said, Hey, you know, can I borrow you for in 45 minutes when this, when we first started doing this, I said, well, wait a no, minute. I mean, I want to be there the whole time. Right. I mean, I want to meet people that come out. So, we have a table set up. People show up. We'll give them literature or they want signs and they'll go out and distribute signs to people who want signs or they'll distribute literature. So we have packs and people can do it um, at their leisure. So they might get a stack of like 25 cards to give out and we just put them on doors and um, they, we have, you know, the software. They can just go and do it. They don't have to do it right then. They can do it over the next few days, whatever's convenient. So it's a lot of that. So we don't do a lot of knocking on doors. It's. Volunteers handing out literature, and then I speak to a lot of people. And then what I like to do, you know, is if I'm so. For example, I'm um, the other day I was driving. It was, I was on my lunch break and I was driving somewhere, and I saw my sign in someone's yard, and I don't I didn't know the person, and I saw there was like several people out in front, so I just pulled my car over, and I put my mask on, and I just walked up to him. I stayed about you know eight feet back and said, "Hey, I just want to thank you for putting you know my sign in your yard. I appreciate it." Yeah, and so they asked me some questions. And so I do things like that. So without yeah. going to doors, if I see people out, I'll talk to them. Um, and you know, especially with practicing law, so I, you know, I can kind of mix the two. So I had court in Cooper County, which is Boonville, and I'm driving there, and I hear on the radio that they're doing a mass vaccination, at the at the casino, which is like a couple blocks away. So I go to court, I drive over there, get out, talk to the, as um, the National Guard that was there, took a photo, and then post and say, hey, look. They're doing a mass vaccination. Here's how to sign up and everything. So it's kind of two birds with one stone. I'm going to court and I'm getting this out there and people are interested in that. So um, there's a lot of that. So, you know, coordinating with volunteers this Saturday, you know, the Mizzou Democrats wanted to do something and they're great I mean, they're very active. So I met on campus with them and they came out and they they took tons of literature out and uh, distributed it. So it's just talking to people, uh, listening to people, uh, which I enjoy. You know, I'm better for it, right? I mean, yeah. so, you know, as we talk, I listen, you know. So I, I every time I, I talk with someone or go on a panel, I come back stronger just because uh, I, I learn something every time.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, no, that's really great. There was a, a time. <laughs> there was, it wasn't as, I should have thought about the yards, but uh, I saw somebody with my bumper sticker once. And, uh, mm. I started chasing, I was like on foot and I started chasing, but It's like, "We've well, got my <laughs> right. bumpers. And the lady's just like, uh-huh. It just, you know, windows up and everything and drives up. Right, Found me right, on Facebook right. later. Cause I posted something about it. Thank goodness. And they're like, oh yeah, that was me. I just, I was really busy. I had to get to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh good. Yeah. I hope I didn't creep you out too much. So, uh, that's a, yeah, that's a- a absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, look at this. Okay. Wait, hold up. So we've got Sarah, who you already gave a shout out, volunteer coordinator. She's watching. She's famous. Yes, she is. Everybody absolutely, knows Sarah. she's wonderful. Yes, absolutely, she she's great. She's great. Yeah, well, it looks she's so like enthusiastic. Oh my goodness, people
1: love Sarah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he, yes, get her to do everything. It's it's fantastic, and it looks like Allison uh, is also very excited because she's seeing lots of signs in her neighborhood in Columbia for you. So yeah, that's
1: absolutely. a good
0: place. You should find Allison's. Hey, Allison, message uh, David so he can come and start, you know, talking to random people
1: in yards that he doesn't know. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well you what you wonder if you're, you're you're being creepy or not when you stop and talk to people and and i try to have some type of literature so i know you know right you're just not some random guy walking up of course but right. um you know it, it's it's been exciting and you know the momentum has been great and people are coming up and you know you just you're just kind of surprised that people really want to to help as much as they do and i've been taken aback like no so you know sarah organized a volunteer event and And um, I showed up on Saturday and just, I mean, the line of people and I granted they were social distanced, but they were Mm -hmm. so it was out in the grass all the way to the parking lot. And, you know, I was just taken aback and I'm humbled by that. That people would come out and want to do it on a Saturday morning. Right. They want to do that. And so it's just exciting and it's touching to see that people want to 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 get involved. And, um, you know, I really want this to be about people message me and say, hey, you know, thank you. And I say, hey, this is about all of us. This is about it's not about me. It's about us. It's about what we can do. Um, And so I'm excited that hopefully there'll be kind of a bridge between politicians and, like I said, people who usually don't know and, you know, someone that is actually involved in the community. And Kip was great about it, too. I mean, people knew and liked Kip. He was wonderful. Um, But just generally speaking, there's a lot of times there's a disconnect, right, Um, Right. with politicians and and the people. Right. Well, now this is a great
0: segue into another Question because we got a long comment from Roy, so I'll put that up on the screen. Um, you know, we, we were talking about the ballot initiative issues and, and the legislature kind of changing things up and down, uh, you know, whenever we pass something. And, and he brings up a lot of examples. Uh, for example, puppy mills, that was something that was passed as a proposition. Uh, right to work uh, was something that we had to then go and and get reversed Uh, and now there's a bunch of bills trying to put right to work back on even though we just voted against it. Um, Conceal carry he talked about too as as another example Um, and then at the end you know he says many of us are tired of even trying to do a proposition. Uh, I got a question via text and I think it's, it's about being tired in general. And it's something that I think a lot of people are feeling. And I wonder how you would answer this because I think, I think you probably have a good one. But the question was, uh, how do we get people activated to get to the polls and take back our government. And you talk so much about community orientation and involvement all of this stuff that's going on out there. But it seems like, I mean, you're really personable. You're trying to do this the right way and you're going insane and you're really like focused on building that community. So I wonder how do you, you know, you got someone who's a little dejected out there here in Missouri. How do you answer that? How do you get folks energized and how do we get them out and and voting and making sure their voices are being
1: heard? You know, it comes down to hope it comes down to hope and you know as I've talked to people in the district and other places people are dejected and there's a sense especially with Missouri turning so red there's a sense of hopelessness but I believe that a new day is coming and I believe that I be, I'm, I'm optimistic otherwise they wouldn't have done this right I mean it's yeah it's easier for me of not to have not to have done oh, this yeah. but to have done it as you know I mean you're involved <laughs> in politics and um, yeah you know, but just like the messages I receive from people, even high school, I mean, there's high school people that just show up. I want to be able, what can I do? Or message, hey, you've inspired me, you've, you know, inspired other kids, you've inspired so many people. Uh, people say, you know, keep going. And I get texts from even out of state from people, I know, hey, keep, keep it going, you know, we're, we're excited. And I, I believe that we can do great things. I believe that Missouri is not a lost cause. I don't believe that everyone is a, this far right Trumpite, right? I think there's this idea that when you see the, that red state, you think, oh, everyone over here is on the far right. And that's not true. I think we have a lot more in common. I think that we can win again in this state. I think we can win statewide in this state. And I think it's just about doing the work. And I don't think it's 15 years away, mm-hmm. right? It's not 15 years away, it's not 20 years away. It's a lot closer than that. And I think if we if we're optimistic and we believe, you know, was it Nelson Mandela who said something seem there seem like they're impossible until they're done
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we, we can do this. Right. I mean, we a, a new way is coming. You know, one of the things, especially talking with people, you know, I've had a lot of people that um, haven't I had someone endorse me. They said, that, you know, I, I noticed they're posting a lot of Trump things on their website, but I knew this person it was an attorney. And I, I called us. You know what? Would you endorse just Because I knew the person's care. said, would you endorse me? And and I said, I know you post all these. Trump. They say, yeah, I know you. I will. I'm not Mm -hmm. like that. And there's this idea that when someone posts something about Trump, you're like, oh, you're this far-right, conspiracy theory believer person way out here on the fringe. And you have this idea that everybody's like that, Yeah, uh, who's on on the right. And that's not the way it is. There's a lot of people in the middle and middle right who will vote Democrat, Democrats who've left the party that we can get them back. And so it's about believing. You know, one of the interesting things when I think about believing and hope is uh just something i noticed over the past few years i don't know not if you're a sports fan or or not but you know i love basketball i love college basketball and run a little uh-huh. pool every year but one of the things i thought about was how you know with michael porter jr um you know he plays with denver nuggets right i familiar uh-huh. with him uh-huh. well when he came to mizzou um you know we weren't having a great season he decides to come so what happens you know all those all the fans buy season tickets myself included Players transfer to come, right? Uh, Tillman, who was from Illinois, came. His brother reclassified to come. And I remember going to one of the first games and someone posted, a friend of mine, you know, Jason Thornell posted, he said, hey. And he posted a picture out his window. It's like the old times of zoo basketball. I mean, just we, it, the traffic jams getting to the arena. It was beautiful, right? And so we played a good team. Iowa State, they were good at that time. And we beat them. And But the, the interesting thing about all of that was you know, Michael Porter Jr. got hurt. He's a great athlete, but he got hurt. He didn't really play, and he played maybe two minutes the whole year, but nobody really knew when he was coming back, so the fans kept coming. We ended up having a winning season, went to the NCAA tournament. He never really contributed, but yeah. the idea was the hope, right? It had nothing to do with him. It just had to do with people believing. People believed we were going to be good, and so they came, so all of that could have happened without him. The fans still could have bought season tickets. Players could have come here, and we would have still won. But it's sometimes you need that hope, and you need people to believe. And we've had good days in this state, we've had good days in the country. And so I believe good things. I wouldn't be doing this if I if I wasn't optimistic. And I'm encouraged. And just you know, you know, when I when I announced my candidacy, within like days, I think the legislative Black Caucus had called on the governor to call a special election, which I didn't know that. And I called some members there who I had known previously, and said, "We've heard about you." We've know. and so there's this. There's just been the exuberance not only within the caucus but outside, and people are coming. Legislators come. I mean, I was thinking about running. I hadn't even made a decision. And Martha Stevens, who's another rep, called me. I'm driving back from Walmart. I see her calling me on my on my screen on my on my car. I'm like, yeah, she says, David, I'm endorsing you. And I hadn't even announced. So uh-huh. there's been this you know there's been this enthusiasm around this, and I believe that that's contagious. Um, I had a friend from law school in Tulane who was generally a Republican, who I've known. But he knows my character. Um, when John John, I went to a book signing John McCain years ago. I just, you know I was kind of starstruck just because he was a you know U.S. senator and kind of a moderate and, kind of, and so I, um, I had him sign a book. But I gave it to my friend who's Republican, you know, and, and he uh, he's a great guy. And but he when he heard I was running, he organized you know a fundraising thing for other people at at the school for me. This is a guy who would you know vote Republican, but he knew my character, and so I believe that a new day is coming and I don't think we're facing, you know, it's all the capital rioters. I think that's sometimes the view we have is that that's who we have to convince. I mean, you're not going to convince people way out on the margins, but we don't need everyone way out on the far, far right. Um, So I'm optimistic about the future.
0: Mm, Love it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you, sometimes you just need that spark, right. That, that really lets you see what it could be. And uh, yeah, I've been on, on many, uh, uh, different teams I'm not that great of a player in anything but uh, losing ones and then seeing that transform all of a sudden and, and not because anything like major change but it was it right. was the details right and and, and and I think I think I mean this is great because I think the more outreach that folks are doing the more ownership that people can have over what all of this becomes and it's those personal relationships that really get you past so many things I mean I can't tell you how many Republicans I've talked to in the state um who were willing to change their mind if the information you know we just have to do a better job of getting that information out to people right giving folks a reason and 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 showing you know i, I think just showing people what it could be and uh making sure that we're including all of those folks in that conversation so no it's really great Absolutely. And i will tell you as somebody who's not in your district and you know i know a lot of the the folks in the uh, legislature right now um, a, a lot of us are very excited and uh, especially with the work that you've done before to have somebody of you know who has committed your life to the things that you have done to 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 have the opportunity to have you representing people in the state is something that's that's really great and uh, so I, I'm very excited was very excited that you said yes to come on. So I gave you another forum oh, to do this week.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I, I, I was excited about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And th- yeah. thank you for your service and, uh, you know, what the work you've done, both running and, and what you're doing now. So you're, you're definitely an asset. So I'm excited about you as well.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Well, we'll have you on yeah. anytime because you say such nice things. So I might as well do it. It will be a highlight of my <laughs> week. So we'll have to get you on more. Right. But uh, I want to give you a chance. We're getting towards the end here. Uh, obviously the website is, hold up, let me get it on the screen, do my fancy thing, DavidTysonSmith.com, so folks can go and get involved and help you out, uh, uh, and, and learn more about your platform points, but I want to give you, you got a few minutes here, so I want to give you a few minutes to, you know, let folks know, uh, what are those, those, what, what is the reason that folks should support you, should vote for you, should go out on April 6th and cast a ballot for David Tyson Smith?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm optimistic about the future, but we're really in a state of crisis in Missouri. And as we touched on before, we're third in the nation as far as voter suppression bills. We have to act now. We have to push back on this bad legislation. Um, Medicaid expansion, we need to make sure it's properly funded. The voters voted on Medicaid expansion, and it looks like the majority might try to kill it. So we have to fight uh, that issue. You know, I grew up in public schools. Missouri ranks 46 in the country regarding the amount spent for for kids K through twelve. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that public schools are taken care of. There's bills that are just, you know, they're aimed at um, primarily they, they well, they favor charter schools. I mean that's what they do. And so that takes money out of out of public schools, which we can't afford. Uh, we can't afford that. And the students here in Missouri need to make sure that the public schools are operating efficiently because it's really the only way that a lot of people have a way out. And criminal justice reform, you know, there's some good a good bill that's moving through now. Senator Brian Williams, we need to get behind that. So we really are at a time when when it's time for engagement. We cannot be passive. If we're passive, we're going to lose. And so mm-hmm. we need to be strong. We need to push back on bad legislation. And I think we can do great things in Missouri if we're all involved and we're all active and engaged. So thank you for having me on. It's been a, an honor.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, thanks for coming on. And uh, that I mean, all very important issues, that education issue. is just so crazy to see how much we have defunded public education in this state and then made up all these excuses to try to throw the whole darn thing out. And it's sad to see. So it's its, it's a very important issue. And I'm glad that you brought that up, too. So uh, go to the website. You've got issues listed on your website, too, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Issues, platform, you can see it all there.
0: Yeah, you got quite a bit. I mean, it's it's good. Like, you got a long, it's not like something you just go to and there's like, oh, three points and that's it. I mean, you can go down the list of the highlights, the priorities, all of these things. So thank you so much for doing that. I, th- I think, you know, being open about those issues is so important. So uh, go to his website, David Tyson Smith. April 6th is Election Day. So make sure to get out there and vote. Uh, wherever you are in Missouri, too, you'll probably have a municipal election. So that's the date you want to go. Uh, David, thanks for coming on the pod. I appreciate your time, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. You can
0: tune into our programs live on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, or at aladgross.live. You can also submit questions and see all of our previous programs. If you'd like to get more involved in our government, visit takebackmissouri.org and sign up to volunteer. Until next time, this is Alad Gross, and thanks for listening to the Alad Pod.